Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with the Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag Talk with the Doc, that's hashtag Talk with the Doc, for a chance to hear your questions in our episodes. I am the Regional Director of Pharmacy for the Texas New Mexico region here at Covenant Health, part of Providence St. Joseph Health. Um, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for information purposes only. Um, and for medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. Um, big thanks um, to Larry, Dr. Larry Pineda for joining me today. Um, he is the clinical pharmacist specializing in infectious diseases and antimicrobial stewardship and quality management, patient safety, at Covenant Health. So thank you for joining us today, Dr. Pineda. Yes, yes, thanks for having me. Um, so thank you. So real quick, first question, um, to get us started, can you please tell us a little bit about what you do in your role here at Covenant? Um, absolutely. So obviously I'm a uh, clinical pharmacist, um, pharmacist just in general, um, as everyone is aware, we're health professionals and we specialize in the right way to you know, compound, use and store medications. So me specifically, I'm an infectious disease uh, pharmacist and I have specialized training in the safe and effective utilization of anti-infective therapy. And so my role with uh, Providence is that I coordinate the optimal use of uh, anti-infectives within the Texas, New Mexico region of Providence, as you had mentioned earlier, antimicrobial stewardship. Um, just, you know, very briefly, like for those that aren't aware of antimicrobial stewardship, um, before COVID, you know, uh, the biggest public health threat was uh, antibiotic resistance. And so it was <clears throat> stewardship programs around the, the nation were put in place to help curb that resistance. And by optimizing the way that we use antibiotics, we were um, leading an effort to try to reduce that antibiotic resistance. Awesome. So, um... One big question I think is we're, you know, we're just hitting October is we're kind of approaching flu season. So I think there's a lot of questions about flu, flu shots and the like. So we always start hearing about flu and flu shots at this time of year, but what exactly is the flu? Okay. Yeah. So uh, the flu is just short for influenza, right? And, and influenza is a virus and it causes um, the flu, which is a contagious respiratory infection. Um, it's a viral infection that uh, affects uh, nose, throat, lungs, um, and it can be contagious. So if you have it, you can give it to somebody else. And it's spread uh, through droplets um, from the mouth when you cough, talk, sneeze, um, and they can enter anybody that's in close proximity uh, in their eyes, nose, and mouth. And that's how it accesses um, our respiratory tract. Okay. Um, I know in the past, like there was a lot of different types of flu. People talked about flu, H1N1. So are there really different types of flu even nowadays? Yes, uh, definitely. There are different types of flus. Like all viruses, um, there's different variants. With flu, we like to kind of categorize them into two big like families. So we call them type A and type B. And within each of those different families, there's different variants. Um, and they're different every year, every, every season could be different. Um, our experts do the best to try to predict which ones um, are going to be circulating that year. Um, and all of these infect humans. Um, there are influenza viruses that infect animals, but the ones that we're most concerned about are the ones that are circulating, <clears throat> um, infecting people each year. So kind of talking about those different types, is there 
a, a concern about each type or is it, are they just a variety? Um, yeah, so they're all concerning because they can all cause illness. Um, and we always have, you know, multiple uh, circular invariants. We don't just have, you know, an, an A that's very specific and that's all we have that year. Um, you know, there could be multiple ones and there could also be A and B going on at the same time. They all cause illness. Um, and uh, if you're one of the unlucky people, they could cause severe illness. So you said variants and that sent a shiver up my spine as we talked about COVID. <laughs> uh, but I think really, you know, COVID's a pretty popular uh, conversation nowadays, um, worrying about symptoms of COVID. Can I or can I not come to work? Can you kill, kind of tell us a little bit of the difference between the flu and COVID, maybe some of the symptoms and things like that? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Um, and it's, to be perfectly honest, it's hard. It's hard to be able to distinguish, you know, the difference between the two just based on symptoms. So the only way that we can definitively know whether or not you have flu or COVID um, is through testing. Um, so they all present um, with very similar um, symptoms. So like a cough, a sore throat, uh, both of them have fever, uh, could have fever, don't always have fever, but could have fever. Um, body aches, all those flu-like symptoms that you commonly hear, um, headaches, uh, could be nausea and vomiting even. Um, the one symptom that is most common with COVID that you that you could still see with flu, but it's more common with COVID <clears throat> is when you have a change or a loss of your taste or smell. Um, that's most likely going to be COVID, but doesn't Ha doesn't definitively have to be COVID because it could be flu. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I know flu's been around forever. I mean, we talked about it even when we were kids, kids getting yeah. sick with flu. But who's at the greatest risk of flu? Or where? Yeah. So the the greatest risk. <clears throat> so we'll start. I'll start with um, most people that get the flu. Um, yeah. If you get the flu, um, it's short limiting, uh, or you know, very. It occurs for maybe couple of days to, you know, the max one to two weeks. And uh, most of the time we get over it ourselves. It's just those symptoms that I talked about. But for some people, it can be very severe. Some people, uh, influenza can lead to sepsis, um, it, you know, which is a just big uh, inflammatory process caused by um, any infection. Uh, influenza can do that. Um, people that have the flu are more likely to, or at higher risk to have like bacterial infections on top of it, um, kind of like ear infections, um, you know, uh, nose, throat infections, those kinds of things. And obviously the ultimate, you know, the worst consequence of having the flu is that some people can uh, have life-threatening illness and so may die from it. Um, the mortality is not as high as uh, it would be with COVID, but it, some people do, and, and they do. Uh, thousands of people die every year from influenza. Um, the people that are most likely going to um, have that are those that are at the extremes of ages. So those most vulnerable patients, the very, very young or the elderly, specifically those that are above the age of 65. Also, um, the CDC lists um, other uh, patients also in that, like pregnant patients, um, are, or pregnant people are also at higher risk for poor outcomes, people with immune you know, deficiencies, uh, people with cancers, or chronic uh, medical health problems like COPD, asthma. Um, those are the people that are at highest risk for those uh, severe outcomes of influenza. 
So I know you've done a lot of work with COVID and I'm maybe going to throw you a small curveball here, but mm -hmm. are you seeing those that are at risk of poor outcomes with flu also the same group that's got poor outcomes with COVID? Uh, they're very similar. Um, yeah. Obviously, uh, COVID is so hard <laughs> to, to wrap your uh, hands around. Once you think you know COVID, it throws you a curveball. Uh, and, you know, early on, we thought that, you know, it was those people that had underlying um, lung disease or elderly people were the ones that were at the most risk to get COVID. And, and now we know that anybody um, is at risk of COVID and anybody is at risk for severe COVID. Um, so there's some similarities there, um, but they're not um, exactly the same. Okay. Um, I know with <coughs> COVID as well as the flu, it's really about what you can do to prevent getting it. And so, so what are some ways that we can prevent getting the flu or even trying to spread um, spread it if we do? Have yeah. And so I think the the what I always like to talk to people about is risk reduction. Right. And that's everybody is if you're a human, you're at risk to have to get influenza. You're at risk to get COVID. Um, but we do everything that we can to reduce our risk of getting that um, infection. If you reduce your risk of getting an infection, then you reduce your risk of having severe um, outcomes from that infection. And the number one, doesn't matter if it's influenza or COVID, the number one tool that we can utilize to reduce our risk for um, influenza or COVID is vaccination. Um, we, we know that. Um, other things, you know, that we could do is those mitigation strategies that you've heard about from the CDC, right? So um, <clears throat> distancing, social distancing, uh, wearing masks. Um, also, if you're sick, limiting your contacts or, or if you know someone that's sick, um, limiting your contact with them. And what we've all, all of our parents taught us, right, wash your hands. Uh, soap and water, uh, some of those just basic um, hand hygiene things that will help um, to reduce your risk. But by far, all of those will help reduce it to a certain extent, but the biggest reduction is going to be to get vaccinated. Okay, so I think that's a really a great, um, an another tangent that we can take. But you know, with the COVID vaccine, people got really bad side effects. I know some had an achy arm, some people even had to call into work. Um, with the flu shot, what are some of the symptoms you can get after having the flu shot? Um, that's that's a, a good question too. Um, so uh, you'll be glad to hear is that um, they're pretty similar, but not as frequent and not as um, severe in severity, if you would say. Um, anytime you get a vaccine, anytime you get a needle injected into your muscle, um, you're Going to have some pain. So most of the most common um, adverse effect that you'll get from a vaccination, any vaccination is going to be the injection site, um, you know, redness and pain. Um, that's the most common things. Uh, some people will have um, what we call uh, reactogenicity. Um, and that's, you know, you your immune system reacting to what we're presenting to it. So the, the vaccination itself, and it's your body mounting an, a response. And that's exactly what we want is we want to train your body to, when it sees something foreign, um, <clears throat> to react to it 
and mount an immune response to it, hopefully a robust immune response to it, so that the next time that your body encounters something that looks like that, um, it will have a head start in getting, uh, mounting another immune response and uh, hopefully preventing you from getting ill and severely ill. Okay. Um, I know right now there's a big push to get people vaccinated with the COVID vaccine. And then with the boosters around, it seems like we've got this another wave of people getting COVID vaccines. Do we need to wait any time after getting the COVID vaccine to get our flu shot? Or if we get our flu shot, do we need to wait before we get our COVID vaccine? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so one of the things I forgot to mention that was kind of going on and then I just forgot was the like the the um, other side effects that other than just the injection side reactions that you're going to get. So some people do get, you know, the like fever, uh, mild fever from it, chills, almost like flu-like symptoms, you know, because it's your, your body mounting that response to it. Um, those things can um, occur. And so I just want to make sure I touch based on that before we we got to that question <laughs> very good so what about if you um get a covid vaccine do you need to wait to get your flu shot or do you yeah so did you wait to get your COVID? Yeah, you don't you don't have to wait okay. um we we know that it is perfectly safe or safe to get both of them at the same time and the cdc actually um, allows you to get both of them at the same time um you know, if you would prefer to space them out, you know, you and it's feasible for you to do so, then you can. Um, it's not going to affect the the efficacy either. If you get them both at the same time, they're both going to still work the same way. Or if you spread them out, they'll still work the same way. I would say that you know, right now in the pan in the, the pandemic, um, I would place higher priority on the COVID vaccine if you're going to spread them out. Get that one first. Um, but we're also right, you know, at the doorstep of influenza season. So overall, get them both for sure. Get them both. Um, and it would be up to you. But um, it is safe and it will still be effective if you get them at the same time. OK, um, I've heard of Pfizer and Moderna COVID vaccines. Are there different types of flu vaccines or are they all the same? Right. They're all um there are different types of, of flu vaccine, but they all work um, the same. They're all going to be effective. They're all um, safe. And it just depends on on you and your preference. Um, you know, there are certain things I'll, I'll, I'll direct you to the CDC website for all the different types of uh, flu uh, vaccines. And um, they're all going to work just like, you know, any COVID vaccine that you get is going to work and it's going to be safe. Okay. Um is there a group or a type of population that shouldn't get the flu vaccine? Yeah. So um, really shortly, the short answer is, you know, everybody should get their flu vaccine. Okay. It, as long as um, you're not under six months of age, okay. everybody <laughs> should get it, um, the vaccine. And that's really the only exception other than um, if you've had a severe life-threatening reaction to uh, a flu vaccine. Right. So those severe um, allergies to that vaccine or vaccine components in there, um, then it's best to talk to your healthcare provider um, on whether or not you should get one. And, and most likely, if it's a severe reaction to a previous one, uh -huh. then you would not, um, we would not recommend you to get that for sure. Okay. Um, I do know you talked about this. You said that we do have several thousands that will die from the flu. So if somebody does get 
the flu, what is the best way they can take care of themselves? Yeah, so um, if you do happen to get um, the flu, which most people have at some point known somebody that's got the flu or got it yourself, then we know that it's um, self-limiting most often, um, unless, like I mentioned, you're one of those unlucky ones that um, is at very high risk for a, a poor outcome. And so the best thing that you can do um, is to, one, limit exposure to anybody else. Um, and so staying home, um, limiting contact with other individuals because we don't want to spread it. Um, and staying home, getting plenty of rest, allowing your body to, um, you know, uh, work itself through that infection and getting adequate nutrition and plenty of hydration. There's some things that we can do over the counter, um, some you know, non-prescription medications that you can, if there's some of those symptoms that um, are, are, you know, like a headache, for instance, or uh, body aches, you know, over-the-counter analgesics like Tylenol, ibuprofen um, can address some of those symptoms. And, you know, it's just managing those symptoms to help you get through it. Um, some uh, nasal con decongestants, you can get over or over the counter um and then seem some antihistamines will help with like a runny nose okay and so those are some things that we can utilize over you know anybody can grab at your local pharmacy to help manage some of those symptoms but for the most part the most important thing is you know getting rest um, and, uh, plenty of fluids and nutrition okay if you um, are one of those people that are at higher risk though yeah. Um, if you do come up with these um, uh, symptoms, then I would recommend, you know, talking to your healthcare professional, um, you know, because there there are uh, some antivirals that you could utilize in those uh, patients and um, they're prescription only, though. And so uh, contacting your healthcare provider um, as soon as you're ill. Um, don't go to the emergency room, but, you know, contact your healthcare provider to see if you need to be seen um, and if you're a candidate for um, an antiviral. Okay. Um, so I think you said this early on, are there a lot of medical treatment options or is really prevention the key? Yeah, there's not, there's not much. Um, and even the antiviral that I was talking about, um, you know, it's, it, it only limits the duration of those symptoms, you know, about a day or so. Um, so it's going to help you to have a milder case of the disease in, in some instances in a shorter uh, duration. But really, there's nothing great other than symptom management that we have. So the best thing to do is just not get the infection in the first place. And so prevention is definitely key. Okay. Um, I think with COVID just being so rampant, um, if, if somebody was to have the flu, would that person be more at risk for COVID if they got the flu this season? That's a hard one. Um, okay. You know, we know that uh, that if you have influenza, that it could put you at risk for other infections, you know, like I mentioned earlier, some bacterial infections. Um, and that that's for both of, of those respiratory infections. So, um, it could, um, but it's too hard to say, like, if you're going to actually, like, to quantify that risk, how high of a risk it would be for, you know, you to, if you have COVID, to get influenza. Okay. Um, so 
I know last year was a little bit different. It didn't seem like we heard about flu as much. Um, I heard that almost it was non-existent. Do you think that's going to be the same this year? Or, or what do you think it's going to look like this year? I wish I knew. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had a crystal ball. Yeah. Uh, um, it's just so hard to predict. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, with just seasonal influenza, um, experts, you know, we, we've gotten it wrong before. We've, we've thought that, um, you know, a certain strain was going to be circulating and we, you know, targeted our vaccinations um, at that type of strain and we were wrong. And so it's very hard to predict from year to year. Um, and then adding COVID on top of it, you know, it adds just its additional layer of, compl of complexity. So, um, I am hopeful that it's reduced. Um, what I can talk about is why we saw that okay. last year, right? And, and so that I do know. And we, during that time, that respiratory season, it was also the height of COVID, right, at, at that mm -hmm. time. And so we had so many mitigation strategies in place. We had, you know, universal masking, um, social distancing. Um, we're, we're more attuned to hand hygiene and kind of keeping to ourselves. Um, we're very aware that there was a virus, um, whereas in most seasons for influenza, we know that it's seasonal um, and we've kind of grown accustomed to it. And so maybe, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of situation. But with COVID, um, we were very aware of what was going on. And so with all those mitigation strategies in place, it reduced um, the transmission of COVID, but also reduced other viral respiratory infections like influenza, because they can be um, transmitted and, you know, contracted in the same types of manners. Okay. Uh, so if we keep these mitigation strategies going, is it really worth worrying about flu this year? <laughs> uh, yes, it's always, you know, uh, I would, I wouldn't, you know, just rely on, on the mitigation strategies um, alone. Okay. You know, and like I mentioned earlier, the single best way to reduce your risk um, is through vaccination. Vaccination also allows those that can't get um, vaccinated protection you know, so we take it upon ourselves. Um, the more people that get vaccinated, the less transmissions that are going to occur in our community, and we can thereby protect those that can't get vaccinated. Okay, so is that pretty much herd immunity? Yep. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. Okay, right. Um, and, and so I think you talked about this a second ago, but what are those populations that aren't getting vaccinated, that can't get vaccinated? I know you said less than six months, but is there other groups or... Yeah, so there's very um, uh, those very young, you know, under six months of, of age. Um, those are the ones that you know aren't getting vaccinated. And then there's vaccine hesitancy. You know, there's people that, despite the recommendations put forth by CDC, um, that are not getting vaccinated. So there's a that bulk, and in most cases, um, you know, it's about fifty percent. You know, it's just people not getting vaccinated, whether they think it's not a risk to them or, or, or you know, other reasons. And so those people are also not getting vaccinated. But then also there's those that are immune suppressed who, you know, we, we can give vaccinations to. They just don't mount the right response to them. You know, that robust 
um, immune response that you know UI would would mount. And so it's protecting those vulnerable populations. Maybe not that they didn't get the vaccination, but they may, they did get it and then didn't mount the appropriate response to it. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, awesome. Well, I know we are getting close to the end. Um, is there anything else that you'd like for people to know about flu or preventative health? Um, yeah, so I wouldn't be a good antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist um, if I missed this opportunity to, you know, you know, push forward uh, our agenda. <laughs> and uh, I know it, that doesn't sound very good, but, um, you know, as an antimicrobial stewardship pharmacist, um, we, I would like you to know that if you do have influenza, it's a virus, um, or if you have any other viral respiratory infection like bronchitis, um, that antibiotics do not work against viruses. You know, we have antivirals that target um, viral infections, but antibiotics do not work against viruses. And so um, talk to your healthcare provider, um, and they're very good at determining whether or not uh, what your symptoms you have are caused by a virus or a bacteria. Um, sometimes they can be both, but in most cases, uh, most viral respiratory syndromes are going to be viral. And so they do not need antibiotics. Um, there's a lot of people feel that antibiotics um, are, are generally safe. They don't think about any of the adverse events that occur. They're medication. Um, and so with all medications, there's always a risk for an adverse event. Um, some of the most um, severe, obviously, are like anaphylaxis. That, that can occur if you take antibiotics. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, um, resistance can occur as well, antibiotic resistance. Okay. And so we really don't want to utilize, um, you know, anti-infectives uh, if we don't need to. Um, okay. going to in, in the situations where it's a virus, um, you, know, you don't, don't request that from your healthcare provider. Uh, an antibiotic is not going to work in that scenario. Okay, that's interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Pineda, for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. Um, to learn more about our initiatives, our program services, and ways to give, or if you're just looking for medical care, please visit providence.org. And also make sure to follow us on social media at Providence Health System for LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and under Providence on Twitter. Thank you, Dr. Pineda, and thank you for everybody for listening.